Alrighty, everybody. Good afternoon, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Wiz, how are you today? On a Tuesday, we have finished 256 NFL football games. Nothing short of miraculous when you think about uh, the season that these guys were facing, and uh, they were able to pull it off. How are you today, Wiz? Yeah, I'm doing well. The NFL, I have to say, they're... The protocols, the, the the contact tracing, not to have one game uh, lost or postponed, absolutely amazing. I was even dubious if that was going to happen, and I was very optimistic about, you know, the league going on and starting. I just wasn't sure uh, what, what the damage collaterally was going to be during the season, but yeah, the NFL did an amazing, amazing job with all the traveling and and everything. Just, just, just terrific. And uh, you know, I know the leagues that we ran um, put some safety, you know, protocols in place, and um, we we use you know moves periodically. And I know in your league, you kind of made it very user friendly for the draft in terms of position eligibility, a lot of flex spots, and uh, yeah, just um, we were telling people back in March and April, you know, to be prepared and get prepared, and for the people that were very pessimistic about the season starting, I think kind of got caught there and uh, weren't necessarily prepared for the draft. Oh, well, you and I have a buddy, Howie. I mean, that, that guy is, a, you know, I don't know if he's playing like uh, kind of like a, a game to sort of psych himself out or play some kind of uh, uh, reverse um, psychology on this, but he was an extreme naysayer. I know I got another buddy named Plav. Uh, this guy actually did not partake in fantasy this year because he didn't want to deal with it. And when you really think about it, there was okay. There was a few disruptions here and there. You lost a player, but generally speaking, I don't think that games necessarily were materially impacted by COVID. Like when you really look at what happened, there was a few outside examples of that. But by and large, you were able to you know not deal with a lot of headaches around COVID this year. Yeah, I mean Denver lost the quarterback room, and the Browns lost the wide receiver room. Uh, those are the two games that, that put teams at, you know, a, a, a probably a competitive disadvantage. But the, the thing that I didn't understand, and I, in several leagues, I saw this that, you know, they, they suggested by league members, like, they wanted to cut their league fees in half. And to me, that made zero sense. Like, the league was either going to go on the way it did or there was going to be such a disruption that the league was just going to have to come to a halt. It wasn't going to be like, you know, you know, week after week after week, you know, four or five games are going to be canceled. So I never understood that thinking. I explained to them back in April and May and June and July and August that that wasn't going to be the case. But just so many people were adamant that let's play for half the league fees. We don't know. Like, I just felt it was going to be cut and dry. Either the season was going to go on like it ended up happening in 2020, or it was going to be such a disruption that the league was going to be stopped. And I just didn't understand the thinking behind let's you know cut the league fees or play for a minimal amount. Like I, I never quite understood that thinking. Yeah, I, I, I'm of the same uh, mindset when it comes to that. But you know, like I said, very fortunate. Like I said, that we were able to get through the season generally uh, unscathed. I would say and. Uh, 
look, it, 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 was a, it was a fun finish week 17. I think week 17 ended up being one of the highest scoring weeks in the history of football. Uh, some wild finishes, obviously playoff spots at stake. We had a lot of players with momentum that basically carried themselves, carried their teams uh, to victory this week. And I don't know a lot of people that actually were playing fantasy this week. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I talked about this quite, quite a lot. I, I am kind of scouting already for next year. Uh, I will be watching what goes on in the playoffs. Wiz and I are going to talk about playoff draft stuff in, in our next podcast. Uh, but yeah, you look, I'm excited for the playoffs. There's a couple of players with a head of steam coming into the playoffs. Uh, you know, I think you know, let's let's start. Let's start from I, I want to start with from the last game of the NFL season, which was to determine a playoff berth. Now, I'm a Giants football fan. Um, I, I feel pretty firmly that, look, the Giants were six and ten. This division was a terrible division all year long. Lots of injuries that all these teams have dealt with, all this sort of stuff. But the Giants are a six and ten team. I don't agree with Doug Peterson did on on Sunday night, and and, and I think for the for the sake of his own teammates, and, and sorry players and staff, and I don't know who made the call. Obviously, the Eagles move up from a ninth pick in the draft to the sixth pick in the draft. Um, you know, Nate Sudfeld. We don't need to see what that player can do. He sucks, and everybody knows it. Uh, he's a career backup, and that's that. Uh, there was a lot of head scratching. I think they've lost the locker room in Philadelphia, which is a bigger problem coming into next year. They're already dealing with the headache of what's going on with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. So I'm just going to ask you from the top, and I don't think any of these teams deserve the playoff spot, but I'm not mad as a Giant fan what took place. I just think I'm kind of upset as a football fan. I granted, I would not want to lose. If Jalen Hurts is going to be a quarterback of the future, you lose him to an ACL injury in Week 17, and he's done for next year. But I think it set a pretty bad precedent overall when when you lose your locker room and you lose your players. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing that came out of what transpired on Sunday night. I'm curious your take. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime you leave, you know, your fate into the ha- in the hands of another team having to do this or having to do that for you to make the playoffs, you never really have a, a rightful, you know, complaint about it. That being said, I'm not a Giants fan. You know, um, I have no horse in the race either way. I would just be frustrated. But, you know, Hurts did not play. You know, he, he had a couple of rushing touchdowns, but he didn't play particularly well in that game from a throwing perspective. I mean, he had a, he had a player wide open in the end zone for an easy touchdown when he was rolling to his left of that fourth down play, and they didn't get it. To me, more peculiar was on fourth down and four. You know, them not just kicking a you know a, a guinea field goal to tie the game up. That that call, you know, whatever. But he's he's been kind of doing that all season. And uh, look, you know, the Eagles are thinking about the Eagles, and you know that game to move them up three spots may have been more interesting and a better result for for the Eagles and for him, him being Doug Peterson than helping the Giants or winning that game or or whatever. But I understand the frustration, but look, go out there and win another game and clinch the division, and and you wouldn't have to worry about that. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, moreover, the field goal decision, and um, it's just a real mess 
in uh, in that Eagles locker room going into next season. Yeah, it's it's troubling. Uh, I think it's something to keep in mind. We know they've dealt with tremendous injuries on the offensive line all year long, so there's a lot that this team will need to address in the offseason. Um, but let's let's talk about some of these teams that did have fate, uh, basically had fate in their own hands. Uh, there was some wild finishes. Um, most notably, I, I, that was an amazing, amazing finish. Look, Derrick Henry, 2,000 rushing yards for the season. Uh, another huge game for him. Uh, Tennessee Titans are playing really phenomenally well on offense. As efficient a quarterback as there is in the NFL right now, it's Ryan Tannehill. Huge completion to A.J. Brown in that ball game, And they needed to win to win that division, which they went ahead and did. Um, Tennessee right now, you know, really playing tremendous football. And that was a terrific football game. Uh, no fight, no quit in their fight whatsoever from from the Houston Texans. I would say I would watch very closely what happens in the offseason with the Texans, uh, both with their offensive skill players. We don't know what's going to happen with Will Fuller because he's going to be suspended to start the season and his contract is up, I believe. So I think that needs to be watched. That's that's one. Uh, Brandon Cooks just had a remarkably strong finish to his season. But this was one of the most exciting games of Sunday. And I was very impressed with the way both of these quarterbacks played in this particular ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as soon as they got rid of O'Brien, um, you, you know what I felt about that man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the 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 Texans played a different brand and a different style, and they were just a different team offensively uh, once he was once he was fired. But uh, their lack of effort on defense and tackling is just horrendous, and. Uh, yeah, they, you know, I saw the comments from Deshaun Watson, what he said, you know, what kind of coach he wants in there and what kind of leader. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with any any of the things he said, but uh, they, they have got to become more physical of a team. They are just such a finesse team, and uh, they they have no physicality. And uh, on defense, they just are not willing tacklers. Uh, so, uh, it's a it's a it's an interesting coaching uh, carousel, and the Texans, you know, because of Deshaun Watson and that offense is a is a, is a good landing spot. But there's a lot of work to be done as far as the Texans are concerned. Yeah, no question. And it'll be interesting to see David Johnson actually finished his year off extremely strong, both running and catching the football. So uh, just something to keep in mind. Again, I, I, I like to watch the way players finish the season, and he's a, another guy that finished the season strong. Uh, Speaking of players who finished the season strong, you talked a lot about this player. There was a lot of cat and mouse going on early in the season with the rookies in the NFL. But Jonathan Taylor with 253 yards rushing, uh, obviously they were battling against the Titans. I thought it was really funny. Frank Reich told, turned off all of the scoreboards in in, in, uh, in Lucas Oil Stadium. So the Colts really didn't know what was going on. But Jonathan Taylor, you know, the week before, I, I was so aggravated with what transpired there where uh, Taylor was – running over the Pittsburgh Steelers and all of a sudden Frank Reich stopped, stopped running him. And this week, I think uh, Frank Reich learned the lesson. Obviously Jacksonville Jaguars couldn't stop you and me from running a football, but uh, John and Taylor is coming in with a head of steam into the playoffs. It's interesting. Uh, you know, everybody, and, and I agree, there's probably nobody hotter than Buffalo. They're averaging over 30 yards a game in the last eight games. The only game they've lost recently is that Hale-Murray pass game. That's it. Um, but one thing the Bills don't do particularly well, well is stop the run. So if you're Frank Reich and uh, you got Jonathan Taylor, you better be using that player come that first round game against the Buffalo Bills uh, in Buffalo. 
there's no question about it. Uh, I remember when we had Rich the Card Collector on the podcast, and I, I said, look, I'm going to give you three rookies right now that I am just, you know, in love with. Uh, you know, and I, I didn't have – I had some equity in Dobbins, but not much equity in Dobbins, but a little bit. Uh, more in C.D. Lamb, and then I had Jonathan Taylor in just about every league I was in. But Dobbins, Taylor, and C.D. Lamb were the three rookies I absolutely loved coming into the season, and I am a hundred times higher on them coming into the season, too. All three of those players, Taylor and Dobbins, are just getting better and better and better with the more work they get, and they are clearly the lead dogs on their respective teams going into the, um, you know, they are the alpha males on those teams in the running back room going into next season. And, uh, yeah, so just focusing on that Bills-Colts game, agree completely with you. Uh, it's one of those games where you got Jonathan Taylor. I think he's your best offensive player. And um, I think you do two things by that. One, you control the clock, and anytime 17 for the other team is on the sidelines next to the coach, that's a good thing. So uh, agree with the, the philosophy of the Colts going into this game. And I will say, before I talk a little bit further about the Bills, uh, on this podcast, I think Wiz and I were very early. Look, this was a strange preseason. No reps for these rookies, no rookie camps, all this sort of stuff. I think we were quite early in turning, uh, in, 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 in suggesting a turning of the tide for a lot of these running backs. Uh, we mentioned Swift, we mentioned Dobbins, obviously Taylor, but a lot of these rookie and Cam Akers came on as the season we're on these rookies show and again something to keep in mind next year um i felt a lot of these players and, and even even the rookie wide receivers were underpriced coming into the year uh when i looked at a lot of auction drafts and when i looked at you know even even snake drafts these players were getting taken way too late in their rounds and this was a very very elite rookie class and i think as the season wore on you really got to see how good some of these running backs are obviously uh, justin jefferson at receiver breaking all kinds of records uh, uh, at the both in the Minnesota Vikings uh, franchise and, and NFL rookie records, so it was something that we talked about, you know. And we we're kind of early. We started talking about this in like week five or week six, and it certainly paid up huge dividends. Um, so, so the Bills and the Ravens. When I look at what's kind of going on with both of these teams, they are clearly the hottest two teams in football since Lamar Jackson's come back from COVID. He's just been on fire. You mentioned Dobbins. We've talked about the Bills. These are two teams that you don't want to get in the way in, in the way of right now. I think the three best teams in football, the way I look at it as we speak here right now, are actually in the AFC, uh, which would make. You know the, the traversing of that for some of these fantasy drafts um, into the into the off season leagues that you're doing very very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the one thing that I've heard a little bit, people seem to not be as excited about the Ravens because of who they've played um, at the end of the year, and you know, I, I think a, a case could be made for that. But if you just watch the style. Uh, that the Ravens are playing with, it, it, it's really reverted back to when they were very successful last year, where they've kind of like, you know, not trying to make Lamar Jackson something that he's not and just going with what he does best. And they have it going on right now. And, uh, yeah, the, the, this game against the Titans is going to be a heck of a, of a ball game. It may be very well the best game of the entire weekend because – uh, it, it's one of these games where who can impose their will because you know what the Ravens want to do 
and you know what the Titans want to do. And the Ravens certainly don't want to be playing from behind. That's their Achilles heel. And while Tannehill and the Titans are better equipped to come from behind, they certainly don't want to lose the 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 aspect of of Derrick Henry being the, the the focal point of their offense. So it's it's a game where who can really get on top of the other team first, which is going to be more of a key for this game than any other game because it, it, it's both teams play so much better when they are playing with a lead and the Ravens certainly do not want to be playing from behind. That's not what they want to do. And, uh, and the Titans need to keep Derrick Henry very involved in their offense. So I'm very interested to see which team can, um, can control, you know, the, the, the score of the game early and, uh, very interesting to see the Ravens, um, you know, I'm, I know, uh, the podcast and the week, we're going to get into the betting aspect, but, you know, it's very interesting to see that the Ravens have opened up like a three-and-a-half-point favorite at the Titans. So uh, if you remember that game last year in the playoffs, uh, which was a Tennessee Titan win, uh, Titans won that game, I think it was like 28-12, to 12, if I'm not mistaken. I know in that game, as uh, the, the, the Ravens got off to, sorry, a terrible start. They had to play catch-up for a long, t- long time. Derrick Henry went bananas. He rushed, rushed the ball over 30 times in that game for almost 200 yards. They really didn't have to, I think Tannehill had under 100 yards passing in that game. They just were adamant about keeping them off the field. Now, now, granted, there was some gaudy numbers in that game for Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson turned the ball over a bunch of times in this game. I do remember one thing, and, and, and this is kind of one thing that I've kind of noted as the season's worn on. And one thing that's very obvious that the Tennessee Titans are very bad at, at, on, on playing defense. They don't have the same defense as they've had the last couple of years. But Marquise Brown is starting to get going, and they're starting to make it a point to get him the football. Granted, he's had some issues with dropping the ball, but I remember him having a, a really big game against Tennessee. So uh, I'm curious to see what happens. I I'm, I'm think it's one of the most, like you said, exciting games of the weekend, uh, but it'll be interesting to see which team can kind of rest control early because that will certainly determine, as you mentioned, which team is going to have to play from behind, and, and both of these teams do have challenges in doing that. Yeah, just just two quick things about the game. is They also played this year, and the Titans were way more physical than the Ravens in winning this game. That was the game. I don't know if you remember the game, but A.J. Brown – basically had five Ravens, Ravens wrapped around him and, and for like 10 yards just carried them all into the end zone. And the Titans won that game. They were much, much more physical. But, uh, but the Ravens are a different team this year in one regard, and it's very, very, key. It's very, very uh, important and a big key. And it's something that we've been talking about, you know, in, in this podcast is for the first time, Besides Lamar Jackson, with J.K. Dobbins, they have another player in the backfield. Look, Edwards and, and, and England the last couple of years, they're, they're fine. But Dobbins is taking those same plays, those same holes, and instead of going 8, 12, 15 yards, he's taking them 40 50 and 60 yards. So the fact that Dobbins is the main guy there now, that's a big difference than what the Ravens have had in the past. To have two guys in the backfield that can take it to the distance on any single play is a big, big difference. Yeah, that, that was a very exciting game. I think it was, what, 30-24, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yeah. 
So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, like I said, I think that is the premier game of, of, of the weekend without question. Um, let's switch gears to the NFC a minute here, Wiz. So two old men, actually three old men that are really quarterbacking their teams at the moment, and, and I think the three best teams in the NFC. So you have the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers with – I think, an MVP season at this point in time. Tom Brady is heated up. It looks like Mike Evans has avoided serious injury. He was seen around the practice facility today, which I think is a good thing. Antonio Brown is starting to heat up a little bit. Uh, and, and Drew Brees is back. Uh, and hopefully they have Alvin Kamara back in this ballgame. So, uh, first off, do you agree that these are the three teams in the NFC? Do you expect one of them to kind of come out of this? And, and all three quarterbacks, uh, you know, look, Breeze is at least one in terms of production, but he hasn't had Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is expected to come back here. But it'll be very interesting watching these three older guys uh, quarterback their teams because, to me, they look like the three best teams in the NFC as we head into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with that to an extent. I, I will say that Russell Wilson is 5 and ho- five and all lifetime at home in the playoffs, and they're going to be facing a Rams team that has a quarterback making his second career start in a playoff game. So I think the Seahawks probably have an advantage at home. But I, I mentioned last week that I thought Fed Wilford was going to play well. He was going to bring a different element, and he ran for, I think, over 50 yards in the game. So he brings a different element, and the Rams certainly have a defense. But, you know, I, I'm just always a little bit weary of just counting out Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So while, yeah, it looks like Breeze, Brady, or Rodgers – uh, I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't count out Seattle yet, and especially playing at home against uh, you know an opposing quarterback who's you know kind of like inexperienced, especially in this type of atmosphere. But yeah, I mean you know look the the the, the Bucks could not have asked for a better matchup. I mean I I just don't think that the the Washington football team can hurt you through the passing game uh, with Alex Smith at this point. He's clearly not 100%. He can't get any, you know, uh, any leverage on his passes. He just has difficulty planting and firing the ball down the field. And, you know, you may be able to win that game against the Eagles uh, with the dink and dunk, but you're not going to beat Tampa Bay, who's going to be able to threaten you, and they're going to score probably more points, certainly more points than the Eagles scored um in the game on Sunday night. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and the Packers are just playing so, so strong right now and, and having the bye. And uh, it's a good matchup for the Saints as well at home. So we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll see how it plays out. But, I, you know, I know that the Seahawks offense has been the second half of the season abysmal, but I wouldn't count the Seahawks out yet. No, I, I don't want to count them out. It, it has been difficult watching this offense. I, you know, I and, and again, the Ram defense is kind of the 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 strong point of this team right now. I thought it was nothing short of remarkable, actually, what Wolford did against uh, against Arizona. Now, granted, Arizona lost. Um, uh, Kyla Murray for a large portion of this ball game, but this guy was sitting on a couch a few weeks ago, minding his own business, and they trot him out for his first career start. And you know, after a tough start, he he actually got his his feet under him. The team actually started moving the football. But I would like to see Seattle start to change up things a little bit more. They've got to go back what they were doing early in the year. I mean, DK Metcalf has kind of disappeared. You had mentioned in the last podcast that you thought Lockett could have a good game against the 49 and he did uh, two touchdowns 
couple uh, 10, 10, uh, 10 receptions in that ball game. But I think Russell Wilson had a remarkably strong first half of the season. I think you got to let Russ cook a little bit again. I know Jalen Ramsey's out there, but he can't cover everybody. Aaron Donald is certainly a force, but the Seattle Seahawks got to get back to what they were doing in the first half of this year. If they want to move on in this tournament, they're going to have to show some offensive fortitude in order to beat some of those teams that we talked about. I'm going to tell you an amazing stat. This is just, this is absolutely amazing. In the first eight games of the season, the Seattle Seahawks game was averaging 64 points a game. They were scoring 34 and a half and giving up over 30. In the second half, the average score of their game under 40. Yeah, that, that... 39 and a half points. The average for the last eight games, 65 for their first eight games. Their offense, completely abysmal, and their defense, completely elite. I have never seen such a turnaround for one team. It's a tale of two halves, and, you know, a tale of a season, the first half, amazing offense, terrible defense, second half, horrible offense and an elite defense, and the Seahawks need to find a better combination of their offense and defense, for, like you said, to go in and win some road games against some of the top teams in the NFC. You know, it's kind of interesting. We, we talked about this, actually. Usually the start of the season, there's a lot of offense to start, in, in which there was this year in particular. And almost every year, as the weather gets colder, as teams start to figure out, as you start to play more common opponents late in the season, there usually is a pretty significant drop-off in scoring. But that one that you just mentioned is precipitous. Now, it comes from a, a, a myriad of factors. Certainly getting Jamal Adams back there uh, on this defense and, and playing in the back. Um, they made some trades. They made some signings. They got some people healthy, but that is an amazing statistic. I did not realize it was that large a, a drop in terms of scoring per game. That's uh, that's almost unheard of, I think. It, it really is. Now, look, some of it is their opponent, right? It, within those last eight games, they played the Jets at home, the Giants at home. They played. They went at and played the Washington football team. They played the Rams, who have also been a low-scoring team, especially uh, you know the last few games of the year. So part of it's their opponent, but part of it is their offense is not running well right now. They they are just uh, not not at all on the same page as they were in the first half. So um, I'm not sure that defense is going to be able to hold. At you know, if they had to go to, to, to play the Saints or if they had to go to Green Bay, they're not going to hold those teams under 20 uh, points. So those teams are going to score, you know, in the mid to high 20s or get close to 30. So their offense is going to have to pick up, certainly. You know, it's funny, too. Um, you know, in a few leagues, um, one of the, which we were partners with, with a few guys, uh, we had the Seattle Seahawks defense, and we were ta- now the team didn't end up making the playoffs, but we kind of were looking at matchups as the season wore on, and we loved the Seahawks defense um, in, in the playoffs, and it ended up being a real force as the season wore on. That's why looking at matchups, uh, when you have the right defense and you have the right teams that you're playing against, and those defenses as you get into the fantasy football playoffs could be a big deal. And Seattle was one of those defenses that really paid off in the second half of the year. Ah, great. Yeah, I mean, we talk about that, you know, looking at 
there's a, there's a strategy and an art form to looking at defenses and kickers and and all of that, and you know not only knowing the rules but also looking at the crucial weeks of the season, who they're playing, where they're playing. Um, there there there's a skill set to it, and uh, you know um, I think people kind of want that position to either go away or they want to make the position irrelevant or they want every defense and kicker to score basically the same amount of points. And I never understood that. I know you never understood that. And, uh, you know, I, I completely disagree with the people that play fantasy that want to make kicker and defense irrelevant. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, so one team we have not spoken about here, and, and it, this past week they, they started their backup quarterback, and I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers, who started the season 11-0, and uh, were clicking on all cylinders on both sides of the football, uh, kind of devastated in their linebacking core with injuries. Ben Roethlisberger has looked terrible, saved the second half of that game against the Indianapolis Colts. But he got the week off last week. Uh, this is a running game that hasn't play, been, play, been playing particularly well. The Cleveland Browns are facing uh, an issue in this particular game. The COVID situation still impacting this team. Looks like they're going to be out there, head coach Kevin Stefanski. But I want to talk specifically about the Steelers, who have elite talent at wide receiver. Granted, they've been contending with drops, although I think Eric Ebron is also going to be on the COVID list. I don't think he's going to be playing in this particular ball game. But, but the Steelers were a team that everybody was talking about to start the season and they come into this quote-unquote tournament, uh, you know, a lot of teams kind of looking at them and really not thinking that they're a factor. Is that a good thing for the Steelers? Do you think they can kind of turn this situation around? Does that Do they feed off of that second half that they had against the Indianapolis Colts and do better things than they've done in the second half of the season thus far? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think the best thing they have going for them is their opponent. Um, the defense has no fear of Baker Mayfield. They seem to know what he's going to do, where he's going to be, who he wants to throw the ball to. They seem to be able to bait him into making bad throws um, with, a, with a quarterback who, you know, is, is, not, is not a starter quality. Uh, they, they were a two-point conversion at Cleveland from, from tying that game up. Um, yeah, there's a real problem coming into this game. And not having the head coach... And after 17 games, a full season, there's a real fluidity between the head coach and the quarterback, the rhythm that they get into in calling the plays that all of a sudden they are not going to have. That is a problem that can't and should not be overlooked by people betting on the game, fantasy playoffs, or even just fans of the game. That is a key key factor that the Browns won't have Stefanski in there because, you know, there's just a certain rhythm and a fluidity to it. I mean, when you watch Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees, there's a real, like, it, it, it's such harmony the way they're in sync that it's going to be difficult for the Browns to, to, to win this game, I think. And, uh, and, um, and you, with Pittsburgh having all their guys playing, not only did Roethlisberger play, but T.J. Watt didn't play in the game as well. Hayden didn't play in the game as well. Um, without Stefanski, you know, this is an uphill climb for Cleveland. Yeah, no, no question about it. No question about it. Uh, all right, so I want to talk a few, I, I, I thought 
to talk about a few teams that have some interesting situations. They're not playoff teams, but interesting situations and decisions to make in the offseason. And, and, and some of this is based on some comments that were made, uh, you know, after the season with interviews with the coaches. So two quarterbacks in particular, when, when I look at both of these offenses, really intriguing offenses, I'm talking about the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos. And we've, we've spoken a lot about both of these teams this year, uh, we know coaching changes were made in Carolina. They have some interesting skill position players. Uh, obviously, they were dealing with the injury with, with McCaffrey this year, but but actually played pretty well despite losing him. Uh, the Denver Broncos, I think, have just some tremendous talent on, on, the, on the offensive side of the football. But there's some question marks around, around Drew Locke. I think these are two situations to keep a very close eye on because it looks like there was not exactly a ringing endorsement uh, for either of the quarterbacks who are kind of running the show here. And, you know, you've spoken a lot earlier in the season about the Denver situation. And uh, to me, it looks like Locke is too inconsistent at this point in time. I thought Bridgewater has played well enough to, to continue on as quarterback there. But uh, again, not a full endorsement from, from the coaching staff there. So curious to th- think of what your opinions are on, on both of these situations and that you know, both of these offenses have tremendous potential. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just amazed that that Denver is going to go back another year with Vic Fangio. I, I, I just that that offense is that team is laden with good young offensive players all across the board. They got two good young tight ends. They got four, not two or three. They have four when Sutton comes back next year. Uh, you know, uh, you know, four young quality receivers, um, a young quarterback, and Drew Locke. I, you know, that that they seem not so sure about. I, I think they they should have let the head coach go. They need to get an offensive mind in there, somebody innovative. Uh, you know, running that team. So I disagree with that. Yeah, I I don't know. I was dubious of Drew Locke. I thought if the Packers had a horrible year, and I was way off on that, that I thought, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, would somehow end up with 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 Denver a possible possibility. But, um, yeah, I don't like the, the fact that the head coach is coming back for Denver next year. And, uh, you know, Carolina, I have a feeling that, Joe Brady is going to be, you know, he's getting some looks at head coach. I'm not sure if that's going to happen this year, but that's only a matter of time before somebody thinks that, okay, maybe he's the next Sean McVay or the next Matt LaFleur and give him a shot. So I'm not sure how much he's going to be, uh, how long he's going to be the offensive coordinator for Carolina. But, yeah, I think there's some interesting players. And uh, Carolina played basically the entire season without McCaffrey. So, um, you know, I think with – Bridgewater and McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel just really shine this year, finally utilized the right way. I wasn't surprised by that because they have, you know, uh, with Brady, they, they, they figured out a way to use him, and he, he was just terrific all year, Curtis Samuel. So, and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson as well. So those teams have very, very good young offensive players but I just don't see how it's going to work for Denver with that with that head coach. Yeah, one well, one player I think for Carolina who who made a who made a big difference in this offense in the second half of the year. Robbie Anderson kind of stole the show in the first half of the year. Curtis Samuel was some producer as the season wore on. Now some of it had to do with the fact that McCaffrey wasn't there, so he was rushing the ball a lot. But he was a difference maker in the second half of the season. Absolutely, and his routes, you know, running down the field and. 
uh, and not just, you know, in bubble screens. And they were, you know, they were just doing a lot of everything with him. And that's the type of play he was. That was the type of play he was at Ohio State. And that's the type of player that he should be used as. And he wasn't up until this year. So I think that's going to continue. And I expect another year of progression next year for Curtis Samuel as well. So uh, a lot to like from a young talent standpoint in Carolina and Denver. I agree with you. Uh, another situation where I think on both sides of the football, now granted defensively this team had a lot of injuries to contend with this year. We've spoken a little bit about this, but there's probably no better job in football, I think, from a head coaching perspective, given the talent. Uh, if you look at that Los Angeles Charger roster where the team was 7-9, and nine, they won their last four games of the year. Granted, there was some very curious decision-making on that sidelines. Anthony Lynn lost his job as a result of that. But you cannot deny the level of talent on both sides of the football. And by the way, in the second half of the season, you know, Keenan Allen, I think, didn't really play the last three or four games. There's some young receivers there that showed up. There was no Hunter Henry there. There had a couple of young tight ends that played really well. We know there's a lot of depth at running back at this team for this team. Um, is there any better job in football coming up for this year? And from a fantasy perspective, I certainly think we'll be watching closely who is going to come in as the head coach uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers because this roster is ripe to win now. Yeah, I agree. I was talking to you about this yesterday. Um, I felt, I feel like the Charger, the, the, the Los Angeles Chargers situation mirrors a few years ago the Los Angeles Rams situation where they had a young quarterback and they had these young upcoming offensive players and they had a, you know, Fisher was the coach and they needed to bring in an offensive guy and the charge is the same thing, especially with Herbert. It's very, very important that, you know, you bring in an offensive guy to take him along and, um, and, and agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling Hunter Henry is probably going to, you know, sign with somebody else. I believe he's a, a free agent, but they, you know, Eckler and Belage just seemed to really become a good player. I know he was a, a laughing stock, you know, especially in our league. He was like a running joke with the Jets and the Dolphins, but he's become a good player. And I think Joshua Kelly will still end up being a good player. So that running back room, I feel, is young and talented. And Keaton Allen is, is, a, is a great veteran receiver, especially to help young guys and Michael Williams and – some of the other young receivers that got a chance to play when, when Allen was hurt uh, played well. And uh, their defensive guys, some of their key ones have been hurt, Harris and Bozer and Ingram. And there is a lot to like. I agree with you. That's the best opening for a head coach. And uh, I am sure and hoping that the Chargers will bring in an Eric Bieniemy or um, one of these offensive coordinators from other teams to uh, Josh McDaniel or, or someone like that to lead the team because that's what Herbert needs. Let's talk about another uh, uh, coaching vacancy, and uh, it's the local team here, the New York Jets. Uh, obviously, Adam Gase did not work out for them, uh, but they have some big decisions to make. They have the number two pick in this draft. Sam Darnold is, is a guy they have to make decisions on. I think when we look at their receiving core, there's there some talent there. I think jo uh, Jameson Crown is a, a very steady player. I think we both think that 
think that Denzel Mims has a lot of potential. I think Perriman is a good third receiver. Uh, Chris Herndon teased us at the end of the season. Uh, I know we're probably going to be not after getting burned by him this year. We're probably going to stay away from there. I'm actually somewhat intrigued by the running backs here uh, in, in Ty Johnson, who, who's looked very good with the opportunities he's gotten, and LaMichael Perrine. Uh, I don't know if Frank, Frank Gore makes it back for another year, but this is a team that's got to make a decision at the coaching spot and they've got to make a decision at quarterback. So if you're the New York Jets and you're, you're the ownership here, Wiz, what are you doing? The, the Jets are going to be in clearly the most intriguing spot in this entire NFL draft for a lot of different reasons. So Trevor Lawrence is off the board at one. That's a guarantee. Now the Jets are sitting there at number two, and honestly, they could do four different things. They can take quarterback. They can take an elite offensive lineman. Um, they can take Alabama wide receiver. Or they can trade the pick. And that pick at two it would be very, value, very valuable. Um, they also, before making that pick, have got to decide what the future is with Sam Donald. So I agree. It's the most intriguing job from a perspective of such decisions have to be made, and it's clearly the most intriguing spot in the draft. The Jets have, I believe, nine picks in this draft. They have two first-round picks, including the second overall pick. There's a real opportunity for the Jets if they handle it right. And then on top of that, I believe they are going to have the second-most cap space in terms of free agency. So this is a real make-or-break year for the future of the organization, bringing in a new coach, what to do with the quarterback, and what to do with the draft as well. All right, awesome. Um, I, I just want to talk about a couple of funny things here. I'm curious to, well, first off, we've been following a saga. You and I have talked about it on the side a little bit, mentioned it on the podcast. Before this season started, you know, Wiz and I talked about prop, prop bets and all, and I made a pretty decent wager on, on the Las Vegas Raiders to win over seven games. And I think kind of through eight or nine games, it looked like almost a, a sure thing. I think the Raiders was six and three, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after nine football games. Uh, John Gruden decided to coach this team into the ground as the season wore on, despite the fact that they have a lot of offensive talent. They're not particularly good uh, on the defensive side of the football. Uh, it was the last game on Sunday, and here I am. It's a 20, it's 25 seconds left in the ball game. It's fourth and two from the two yard line. I've been complaining about the. Usage of Josh Jacobs all year long. They run him. He scores the touchdown. They go down by a point. It's 31 to 30. There's 20 odd seconds left in the game. So what do you do? Gruden ends up deciding that he's going to go for two, go for the win. They're playing for nothing. So my bet hinges on this particular play. All of a sudden, you know, we, we talked about this, you and I, uh, the, the best player, offensive player from a receiving perspective on, on, the, um, on the Las Vegas Raiders, Darren Waller is on the sidelines. David Derek Carr is trying to get him back into the game. You, you had mentioned to me that Fangio ended up calling a timeout, which allowed the, the personnel of the Raiders to get back in. Uh, they end up throwing a two-point conversion to Waller. They go up by a point, and I had to sweat through a 63-yard field goal attempt by Brandon McManus at the end of that game, which ended up getting blocked, and I won the game. But, boy, that was a painful six weeks to get one win, Wiz. Yeah, I mean, Craig Williams, you should probably thank for winning that bad. They never should have beat the Jets. Uh, there was no way Darren Waller was going to be on the field for that two-point conversion. Well, 
there would have been one way. The, 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 if the Raiders would have let the, the play clock wind down and take a penalty, then he would have been in maybe when they got back to the seven-yard line. But when they were running that play from the two-and-a-half-yard line, he was not in that play. Only the idiotic Vic Fangio calls a timeout. It allows Waller to come on the field. And then guess what? The, Ra- the Broncos move the ball to the Raiders' 45-yard line. They don't have more timeout. Guess why? Because the idiot wasted calling it on defense, allowing Waller to come back in the game. And then they tell him we have confidence in you and we're going to bring you back for next year. I mean, agree. It's a complete comedy of events. And, uh, yeah, Greg Williams you should thank. And then more importantly, Vic Fangio, who made sure Waller was on the field for the two-point conversion and made sure that Denver didn't have a timeout to, to, to try and complete one more pass in the middle of the field to give McManus a much easier field goal opportunity. So, yeah, a lot of stupidity at work in that game. So those are two games the Raiders should have lost, and they never should have been beaten by the Dolphins uh, in that game. So I guess the fantasy and the, and the wagering gods give you one and then they take it away. And then at the end of it, they gave you one to a few to win your wager. Yeah. I, I got to tell you one thing too. Like I, I know, I know there's some efficiency experts uh, around the NFL. I don't know if all teams have them. Uh, you know, it's very easy to play Monday morning quarterback or, 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 or kind of question this stuff. But, but Wiz and I have been watching this stuff all year long. There, some of these coaches consistently, and there's, there's a reason why some of them are going to be out of work. And the reason there's a reason why some of them aren't Coral plays anymore Matt Nagy who by the way you know it'll be very interesting we didn't talk about the Bears at all but the way David Montgomery finished this season certainly I'm very curious to see where that player was finally used properly in the passing game and you know coming into next year who knows David Montgomery probably a top seven back in terms of rankings for preseason next year they found a way to use this player and the player really had a tremendous finish this season but but I gotta tell you some of the decisions that are made on the on the sidelines of an NFL team, they are as head scratching as they can possibly be, and it's repeated offenses that drive me absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bill Parcells never had, you know, very rarely did he have great offensive teams or elite offensive teams, but he was the greatest clock manager I have ever seen coach a football team and you watch some of these guys they're just horrible at it they don't understand when they use their timeouts they don't understand the play calling of of, of what to do especially when it comes down to the end of the first half or the end of games and uh, I, I agree with you and um, it's, it's really some poor coaching out there and uh, that's why the coaching carousel wheel just keeps turning and turning and turning and turning. And uh, you only see maybe six to eight of these coaches that seem to be fixtures with their teams for many years. Uh, otherwise, it's just, you know, bring a new coach in, give them a couple of years, and then the same thing happens over and over again. Horrible clock management and uh, the usage of players. Uh, we talked about that for many, many teams. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it's not good. So, yeah, I agree with you as far as uh, the frustration level. All right, fantastic. Well, that's all I have to offer for uh, for this uh, looking back at Week 17 and a slight glimpse into uh, next season and into the playoffs. Uh, anything you want to add before we sign off here, Wiz? 
No, I mean, but, uh, you know, there is still a lot to go over. Um, remember, there were six games for the first time. Yeah. Uh, six games opening weekend, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. So we are going to talk wagering on the games. We are going to talk player props. We are going to talk daily fantasy lineup. And then we're going to do a podcast on your fantasy football playoff draft. I know our big one is coming up on Saturday. Um, I'm in three other forums right now as we speak. Uh, teams in our leagues are making picks right now as as the podcast is going on, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and we're gonna talk about strategy for that as well. All right, awesome, Wiz. All right, so again, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Make sure you're on there subscribing. Uh, we're excited for the playoffs. It's been a fun season, but we are not stopping. We're going to continue to evaluate each and every weekend of football, and uh, we'll come back to you uh, probably on Thursday with our playoff draft preparation. So thanks again, Wiz. We will talk later, and have a good evening. You do the same. Thank you.